Blog Talk Radio. Reality Radio Entertainment presents Behind the Curtain with your host, Kathy Barrett. Welcome to Behind the Curtain. It's a show that profiles ordinary people who choose to be extraordinary. I'm your host, Kathy Barrett. Thanks for tuning in today. Addison Caruso sounds like it could be the new Netflix action series about to make its debut. The truth is, Addison Caruso, a 26-year-old legal aid lawyer, now running for a state house seat representing District 36 in Ohio. The state house seat Addison is running for is now held by one-year Republican incumbent, Andrea White, who does not believe in a woman's right to choose, or climate change, or gun control. And uh, as a woman, I have to say, I personally take great offense, great offense to this. For someone to vote against their own best interest, uh, I have a great deal of um, anger and frustration about that as a woman. So for 12 years, Republicans have ruled with a supermajority in Ohio. And Ohio ranks 36 out of all the states. So are the good people of Ohio better off under a Republican rule after 12 years? I think not. So it is my great pleasure to introduce to you Democratic candidate for Ohio District 36, Addison Caruso. Welcome, Addison. It's so nice to finally meet you in person, and thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you very much, Kathy, for having me, and very nice to meet you as well. I, I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to, to come on to your great show and uh, talk to you today. I'm happy that you're on the program and uh, want to talk about your plans, your vision, and how you want to change things around. But first, talk about, because I love the story when we first spoke, what inspired you to become involved in politics? <laughs> yes, yeah, so I've been involved in politics for you know, since 2008, basically, when I was in junior high, uh, my first memories were knocking doors for Obama with my mom. And in 2012, I was a campaign intern. Uh, and then I worked in the Dayton mayor's office. Then in college, I was in college Democrats and law school, worked on various, uh, with Joe Biden's reelection campaign, as much free time as I had while, while down at Duke Law School. Uh, so I've, I've been involved in politics for a while, just seeing it as a positive way to make change in our society. You know, I've always been, you know, there are things that I think could be improved upon or I've gotten frustrated with the direction of our government is. And if you're going to complain about something, I feel like you should do the work to, to change it or make it better. Um, you know, if you're going to talk the talk, you should walk the walk. And I, I firmly believe that. So if I'm going to complain about you know, the government taking away a woman's right to choose, you know, I should go out there and protest this country. Um, so that's kind of why I've always been involved in politics. I think it's a good vehicle to make change. And it's an essential vehicle in our democratic society, too. Absolutely. So, you know, it's true. And it's, it's not just people running for office. I mean, every mm -hmm. single one of us in this country has to take a more active role in what's going on. Let's paint a picture of Montgomery County for the people. You have a population of 538,000, right? And it's mm -hmm. pretty well divided. There's, um, let's see, from... There's under five, there's six percent of that population. Five to 19 is 19 percent. 20 to 34, 20 percent. 35 to 49, 17 percent. 65 and older, 18 percent. 51 percent of the population is female. 
So what is the atmosphere in Montgomery County in terms of what's happening on a state level and Roe versus Wade being overturned? How, what are you hearing in your travels to rally people to vote for you? Yeah, so I, I mean, when I've gone knocking on doors and talking to voters directly, people are energized. It's not just women, it's men, women, children, everyone's energized and they're angry about this. There's there's that news um, several weeks ago. It seems like whenever Ohio makes a national news, it's for the wrong reasons right now, but um, about the six or the 10 year old girl who had to go to Indiana to get an abortion. Um, and that really energized a lot of people too. And she was from the Dayton area in, in Montgomery County. Um, so this is, you know, things are happening here in Montgomery County. People realize it. Um, and I, you know, talking to other candidates as well, people and voters are energized. And I think they they want to make sure Ohio is a pro-choice state, and that, that's reflected in our state government, too, because um, that's what the voters believe, and that's what they want. And abortion access is not just a, a woman's right issue. It's really a human rights issue um, at the end of the day. And I think a lot of voters recognize that. And it'll, it'll drive people to the polls this year, people. I was in NAACP um, candidates forum last night and there are a lot of people there now it's one of the questions too so it's just it's on the top of voters minds um i think it's going to get people out and montgomery county will remain a, a pro-choice county that's excellent to hear i mean it's also a health issue for women, mm -hmm. you know and and that is also a human right 51 percent of the population is female right there that's it you know the yep. opportunity right so 72% are Caucasian, 21% uh, Black or African American, 3.6 Latino, and then the rest is mixed races and American Indian and, and so on. 15% of the people live below the poverty level, and 19% are food insecure. So recently, as you mentioned, um, Ohio was in the news, Governor DeWitt had a what, $5.7 billion sub surplus in revenue. Mm -hmm. And that's not even counting the Build Back Better money that Ohio will receive because of President Biden. You can keep supplying them with food, but that's not gonna change the problem. And that's right. a lot of what I see going on in Ohio. What are your feelings about the food insecurity and the, the people living below the poverty level? Well, it's really true, I mean, it's one of those things where they're putting a bunch of band-aids on the problem, but not addressing the root causes of food insecurity. And you know, I see this every day as a, as a legal aid attorney, where we're often just put a band-aid on it. You know, we're helping people avoid eviction, but we're working in an unjust system where landlords are inherently given a, a leg up. Um, and it's frustrating from that angle, speaking personally uh, from the legal aid angle, to function in that system and realize there's only so much we can do to you know, make sure people have housing or you know, they can keep their housing, they can stay in a healthy, safe, hospitable place. Um, so it's frustrating. And I, I think the state really needs to do more to step up to, to solve that. Ohio is a fairly, you know, compared to the rest of the country, it's an affordable place to live, but it's still expensive and out of reach uh, for a lot of families. And our, our state has to do more. Um, I know one of the reasons we have that surplus now is their state has been taking money, more and more money away from local governments, meaning they have to cut services to, to vulnerable populations, um, just so the state continues to take money and put them into their coffers. And it's unfortunate. And as the Republican Party likes to say, oh, we're the party that's pro-police or pro-firefighters or pro-city services, it's, that's not the case. It's they're the ones that are taking away city money, um, 
and causing cities to slash essential services to people. It's it's really worrisome. So part of you wanting to get into you know politics is to change these things. So what? How would you approach it if you were elected? I mean, I think we need to you know bring more people to the table who who are in these circumstances. You know, I. Just kind of have that conversation and collaboration and empower these communities that are traditionally marginalized as well um, and be their ally in the state house. I believe that you know transparency, collaboration, um, you know having those hard conversations sometimes is essential to produce the right policy. And so, as a state legislator, I think my chief goal is to be an advocate for my district members, and be their servant. And so that would be very intentional on me to bring them to the state house, you know, bring them in on issues, include them when crafting legislation and get their opinions. The community is most affected by food insecurity, housing shortages, um, rising prices, things like that, and bring them in and still have ideas of how we can address them, how to, you know, how the state can work to not just keep putting band-aids on a problem that keeps growing larger and larger. That's really excellent. And I'm sure the people of Ohio, you know, you're so refreshing compared to what they're they're hearing now. But, you know, it's interesting because uh, the um, incumbent, the Republican incumbent, who has just been in there for a year, I guess they won by 7,000 some odd votes, Mm -hmm. right? So not really a lot. And uh, there's a lot of independent voters yeah, Montgomery, right? So um, how are you planning to target the independents or how have you been targeting the independents? Yeah, so the so the good news too is under the old maps, uh, it was about 10, the district was about 10 points more Republican as a whole and now it's pretty much split 50-50. So running under a new map, so this is a newly competitive pure 48% mm-hmm. Republicans and about 4% independents. And actually, in 2020, under the new district lines, it would have gone to five and five out six points. Excuse me. Um, so there's a real chance to win this race. It's competitive, and it, there's a clear path for Democrats to win. And how we're doing it, I think, you know, as a lot of Democrats, I think suburban women are going to be the key this election. So we're really targeting them, you know, going out and knocking on suburban women doors, engaging key groups. Um, I've been endorsed by Planned Parenthood. I've been endorsed by Pro-Choice Ohio. Um, and even talking with voters, women are angry, um, they're motivated, they're energized, and I, I think tapping into that and, and funneling that into a successful campaign and being their advocate um, and their ally on the trail and then the state house is key at the end of the day. I think that's our path to victory. Absolutely. And now um, let's talk a little bit about the state of race relations in Montgomery. Um, where do you stand on, I hate to even use this term, critical race theory, um, or making sure that the schools teach our country's actual history about slavery instead of trying to rewrite it? Can you talk a little bit, a little bit about that? Yeah, so much like the rest of the country, Ohio is not immune from the, the racial gaslighting, basically, of critical race theory. I, I took a race in the law class at law school, and I can say, having taken that, they're not teaching that in high schools or elementary schools or even early college-level courses, just since the subject matter is very complex, the conversations are hard, and you need to have a certain level of maturity to have those um, deep, hard, uh, important conversations. Uh, so Ohio, there it hasn't been passed yet, but there are discussions um, underway about a bill that would ban you know, 
quote unquote divisive concepts. Um, and so that would prohibit, you know, it's such a broad category could prohibit you know, topics about slavery, race relations, Jim Crow, Ohio's history and, and race. You know, Ohio is always, we're founded as a free state, but that doesn't mean racism didn't happen here and doesn't continue to happen here. Mm-hmm. And personally, as a Jewish, uh, Jewish American, you know, would that affect the Holocaust? Do suddenly teachers have to teach there's both sides of the Holocaust, which is just ridiculous. So it's, uh, mm-hmm. I, I'm worried about it. You know, at my position at the end of the day is the best people to decide what's you know, going on in the classroom. Obviously, obviously, there needs to be some baseline level of education at the state level, but um, the best people at the end of the day are teachers, your local school board parents. They, they should be the key decision makers in the classroom. So they're the ones most intimately involved in the children's lives. The school board's accountable to the local parents and uh, they're directly elected. Um, and parents are obviously you know, working with their kids. And then the teachers are the ones in the classroom every single day. So they have an understanding of what children's needs are, um, their wants, and how to best craft an education that will let them succeed in, in our society. The Ohio Constitution banned slavery in the state, but it, it left open one exception. And this is also another passion of yours, uh, uh, prison reform. Uh, Mm -hmm. So the Constitution states that there shall be no slavery in the state nor involuntary uh, unless for the punishment of crime. So the Ohio Legislative Black Caucus is working with other lawmakers across the state to get an amendment passed that would no longer allow slavery in Ohio in any form. Do you agree? I agree. And I think the documentary 13th by uh, Abu Durbanay, really kind of highlighted this issue and this kind of oversight of the 13th Amendment about how, you know, modern day slavery is still somewhat allowed with that, you know, the wording of the 13th Amendment. Yes. And that's part, you know, talking about prison reform, um, I think inmates get, what, 99 cents a day Mm -hmm. for all of the work they're doing. So it's a money-making machine in a sense. It is. And and the bonds, you know, I mean, we could do a whole show just on that. And, When you get elected, you could come back and we'll do that. But um, the most unfortunate statistic is black men constitute 13% of the male population, but 35% of those incarcerated. Nearly one in three individuals return to Ohio prisons. So 50% of that, I believe, is uh, of, of the jail population are currently booked with drug charges. What would your philosophy be if so many people are being jailed that are actually addicts? How do you see reforming that aspect of what's going on? I mean, we need more rehabilitation when it comes to that. It, it's very expensive to lock people up. So from an economic angle, I'd rather have people on the street, you know, if they're non-dangerous, non-violent felons, they're contributing to society by working or doing jobs here and there. That's a lot more productive to society and to our economy than keeping somebody locked away in jail for that a nonviolent offense. Um, and at the end of the day, addiction is a sickness. People need help. They need treatment. Um, and our state needs to be serious about that. But I was, I clerked in the federal court in Dayton um, my first summer after law school. So that would have been the summer of 2019. And the judge said something to me about how he's only ever seen about five truly bad people come before him and his, he was appointed under Jimmy Carter. So he's been around for a while. Uh, and he said, yeah, there's only a handful of truly bad people since most people don't want to grow up to be criminals. Most people don't want to commit crimes. When you give people the opportunity and the training and the you know, security to go pursue a job or pursue their other interests, people will do it. I mean, people don't want to commit crime for the most part. Um, so 
about giving people the opportunity to do that, giving them, you know, if they have the rehabilitation to feel confident in getting a job, feel confident in being a productive member of society. And I, I think our state needs to have more of that rehabilitation mindset rather than just there's a problem, you know, throw people away and lock them up. Um, that's caused mass incarceration, as you said, and we've seen the effects of that in, in Ohio especially. They're charging astronomical amounts of money when the inmates have to make a phone call. The family then remains in poverty. It's a vicious cycle, and it just keeps continuing. There's actually a, a rap album I listened to by, unfortunately, he passed away. Um, his name is Drakeo the Ruler, but it was called Thank You for Using GTL, and it was he was rapping the whole album over a prison phone. So he was incarcerated, and he was just kind of highlighting the plight of how much it costs to just make phone calls to, to your family, or in this case, to, to record his art and his uh, profession. Um, so it's just, uh, it was very interesting to hear that, um, and something I didn't really realize until I listened to that album and read more on the issue, too, just that, that cost. Yeah, it has to be cheaper to rehabilitate people, you know, and mm -hmm. there's so many programs that are proven that they work. And, Absolutely. Uh, but they're not happening as much in this country as, well, I think we're, what, number one in the world in terms of uh, imprisoning people. In terms of, you know, funding the police and those agencies, no one's really on the Democratic side talking about, well, I shouldn't say no one, but people don't want to defund the police per se, but there has to be something done about weeding out the bad apples, the racist mm -hmm. cops, the violent cops. I mean, the ones that psychologically, if you tested them, shouldn't really be permitted to have a gun in their hand, period. They're just not stable yep. enough to do that kind of job. There needs more, I think we need more in-depth training. So how would you work with those agencies? How would you approach trying to shift that problem that's happening between, you know, police and people living in Montgomery County. Yeah, so I think, uh, I know the city of Dayton, they've come up with a, I might be butchering name, but the Citizens Police Accountability Board where citizens will be able to review police footage. Um, it'll, it's kind of a new check on um, police accountability that brings police officers into the process, but citizens in the process as well. Like with a lot of my philosophy, it's about collaboration um, and bringing people together. I think that's the key at the end of the day. Police officers, they don't want to go out there thinking that they're racist. They want to, you know, they want to, you know, uphold the law for the most part. Um, and they want to, you know, at least the police chief level, that, that impugns their job if they're going to a community where there isn't that trust. People aren't going to report crimes. They're not going to call the police. They're not going to um, create a safe community. Um, and it'll impede police officers' jobs. So I think having those conversations to bring communities together and bring those communities most affected by police violence and police officers together, and again, having those hard but necessary conversations is, is really important um, to continue the process of police reform. Every profession, you know, doctors can be kicked out if they're doing something wrong. As an attorney, I could be disbarred if I do something wrong. You know, there should be some accountability for every profession, especially in one like a police officer where you know, sometimes your decisions can mean life and death for someone, and that's a very big decision. Um, and so there, there absolutely should be accountability, um, and they should be held to a higher standard than you know, just Joe Schmo walking down the street. Um, but I think bringing police and citizens into the process as well as so being create a compromise that allows police to do their jobs but also makes citizens feel safe, um, makes them feel trusted, uh, makes them feel like they have an ally in the police force, I think is important too.
So I, I think that's at the end of the day, that's that's really key to, to making some progress on this. That years ago they would call it the cop on the beat, if you will, right? I mean, that's how you get your information. You know, if the community Absolutely. trusts you, right, then you're going to be able to have access to more information. Our systems are systemically racist. And it's not just white America. Everyone is racist to a certain degree, right? So, but I do believe that we, we carry the most burden on this. And, you know, the only way to connect and bond is to admit that there's a problem and then we can start to heal this nation because we'll never be our potential as a people or as a country unless we do this. And it's long, it's long overdue. And I believe in your generation that be the ones to do it because it's really tough to teach an old dog new tricks. And, <laughs> well, it seems like there's a lot of old dogs learning new tricks and uh, you know, I, I have faith that our country and our, our people, it seems like more and more people of all ages are ready to have these conversations and you know, talk about structural racism and systemic racism um, and just acknowledge the problem and that's that's really comforting to see um, that that it seems like there is some progress being made obviously i wish there's some more but it seems like sometimes the wheels of progress move slowly and i i think if there is progress being made every day which is heartening to see yes so let's talk about a couple of other uh, things that are very important human trafficking what Mm -hmm. Hey, it's going on in Ohio. It's fourth out of all the states, right? So what do you think the problem, I mean, why so much human trafficking in Ohio of all places? So at least in Dayton, we're on two major intersections. So there's I-70 that goes straight through it, which runs across the country, and I-75, which goes north to south. And both are major intersections for um, interstate commerce in, in the country. Um, so I think that's a big reason that it happens is Ohio is very central. There are a lot of highways that go through here, and it's very easy to get through. And you know, since it, human trafficking often is a federal issue since you're moving people between states, be more involved with the federal government on that angle and talk about how it's an issue. I think sometimes, you know, human trafficking just isn't brought up as a major issue in our our society, but it really is. Um, It's not just happening in other parts of the world. It's happening here in the U.S. And we need to, you know, again, it's bringing those conversations to the forefront, recognizing that the problem exists and that we can work on a solution. And I think, you know, that solution, you need to bring in the federal government on that. Um, but having legislators in the office who recognize it's a problem and will speak out on its behalf um, and say, hey, this is an issue. We need to look more into it. We need to enforce it more. We need to be more vigilant about it. You know, let people know here are some of the signs of human trafficking. Here's what you can look for, I think, is, is really essential, too, since, as you said, it's, it's, a, it's a major issue in Ohio. Yeah, and it and it all kind of works together with drug addiction, alcohol mm-hmm. addiction, teenage pregnancies. Okay, yep. if you're 13 or 14, I mean, you're a candidate then, right? To be yeah. used to to you know be taken into uh, taken advantage of um, by older people that just know how to manipulate that situation. So it's it's all tied together. That's why it's so frightening that these laws are changing uh, to the detriment of, of women. And um, so anything else you want to share? You want to talk a little bit about the last Yeah, um, yeah, it's a 
my name is Addison Cruz. I'm the Democratic candidate for state representative. And really just why I'm running is like a lot of states, Ohio state legislature just isn't representative of what our populace believes, what, what Ohioans believe, what everyday Ohioans want. Um, we have our maps are still this is the fourth time they're ruled unconstitutional, but there are more competitive districts than last time. And this is a real competitive district. So we have a chance to crack the supermajority you're talking about. Um, hold Republicans accountable and, and have some real, have a real voice in Ohio and have real public servants in office. And it's a real chance to do that. So um, I'm excited about it. I, I think the rest of the country too, for, for listeners across the U.S. need to, you know, don't write off Ohio. Um, we're kind of the, there's, I think Ohio sometimes has a, has a chip on its shoulder with a uh, you know, backbone of the rev, industrial revolution, a home of manufacturing. And I think, you know, especially as climate change and other things become clear, I think more and more people have come to Ohio. So we have a lot of great natural resources. And I think like, you know, people are going to want to move here. We just need a legislator that's passing policies that makes people want to move here that represents the inclusive, um, welcoming, home, homely communities that I see every day when, when going walking on the streets and talking to Ohio, Ohio. And so we do legislators that pass policies that reflect that mindset. I want to be that legislator. Um, I want to help create that state. And you know, I, I believe in Ohio. And as, as Tim Ryan says, don't, don't bet against Ohio. <laughs> I'm not betting against Ohio for sure. I, I can't think of a better person to represent District 36 than you, Addison. Very impressed with your passion. And, Thank you, Kat. You know, it's, it's very obvious that you're in it for the right reasons. You, you know, there is an authenticity about people when they actually want to work for constituents. You know, it, it, it's not something you can talk about. You know, it's, it's, you can feel it from people. You can feel it from Beto, you know, when he speaks. Mm -hmm. and, and so I get that from you as well. And um, I'm really excited and, um, you know, hope that you win this election. And I think that you would do Ohio a great service and the people that live there. So thank you for sharing your platform with us today and answering questions. And um, lovely people tuning in. I urge you to double check that you are registered to vote. Vote early. Absolutely. If you have to mail in your vote, know the deadline dates. If you can mm -hmm. volunteer, do it. Addison Caruso can use some help. He's just a few weeks out. Of yep. My website's carusoforohio.com. Um, feel free to go check it out. Yeah, yes, and also you're on Twitter. Uh, tell yep. them it's uh, at Addison Caruso OH for Ohio, yep. right? On Twitter handle, you're on Instagram. And what's... Yep. Okay, so you can follow him, volunteer, send him some money, and you can also find out more about Addison and listen to the show by going to the show's website, gobehindthecurtain.com. My good people, our democracy is at stake. Addison Crusoe is willing to take on the problems that are plaguing Montgomery County and Ohio. His passion has always been to serve others, especially those marginalized by society. Give him a chance. Vote blue. This is Kathy Barrett. Thanks for tuning in. Addison, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. And I hope you'll come back when you're elected. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Kathy, for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. So it's a date. Follow us on Twitter at BTC Blog Talk. Check out our website to hear the latest shows. It costs nothing to be kind, people. Be generous. 
I'm sending you all love and a virtual hug from behind the curtain. Until next time, peace, everybody. See you soon. Good luck. Thanks, Kathy.